0: Ring is Galatians 6, 6 to 10, that is found on page 975 in the Pew Bible. Galatians 6, 6 through 10. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The Word of the Lord.
1: Let us pray. O gracious Lord, we come to your Word that you might teach us by your Holy Spirit that we would not have casual dealings with this Word. But that we would be changed by it, changed by Your Spirit, Lord. We pray that You would hold our minds to it, that You would give us energy for it, that You would fix us, Lord, on Your Word. May we hunger and thirst after it. May we long for it, Lord. May we hide it in our hearts. May we practice it in our lives. May it be, Lord, that as we delight in that Word and meditate in it, as the psalmist says, that we will be like trees planted by streams of water, whose leaf does not wither, and who produces its fruit in and out of season. Lord, we pray you would so bless us by your word. We thank you that you come to us in your word. You come to equip us and cleanse us and build us up and give us comfort and hope. Lord, you come to draw us after Christ, to cause us to love you more, cause us to trust you more, to take hope in you. Lord, thank you for all that you intend to do in your word. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I hope that you will keep your Bibles open to this passage of uh, in Galatians. And if you don't have your own Bible, that you could use the one in the pew that... Uh, On page 975, because we're going to look not only in chapter 6, but some in chapter 5 as well. And uh, it would really help for you to have your Bible open for this section. This is a rather startling section. Uh, Verse 7 tells us not to be deceived. And it speaks about mocking God. And it speaks about reaping corruption versus reaping eternal life. Very serious passage, and it talks about the difficulty, do not grow weary in doing good. So there's a lot about this passage that tends to put us under pressure, even put us under guilt, makes us wonder about things because of just the way Paul words it. And we can't lessen that, we don't want to dull the edge of that. Uh, When he uses this word corruption, it really has the idea of a corpse rotting, okay? A corpse rotting. That's corruption. But it's talking about far more than just our bodies rotting in death, but it, it's talking about the disintegration of our whole being for eternity. It's the opposite of the wholeness and richness and beauty of eternal life. Life of knowing God and living in relationship with God forever versus a life of utter disintegration. Our whole personality, all joy, all goodness is dashed and corrupted forever. And and he says this this depends on whether we are sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit. So hopefully we would kind of be on the edge of our seat. You know, to say, hey, if you go this way, you're going to run off the cliff. If you go this way, you'll get to... Wait, wait, which way did you say I would run off? You know, this is serious. And then the fact that we can be deceived about this. Do not be deceived. Don't deceive yourself. This many times in Scripture, the, the capability of us uh, not knowing the importance of this issue or not thinking it's critical for us, just neglecting this whole idea of sowing to the spirit or sowing to the flesh. And the fact that we could, in so doing, mock God and, or think that we're mocking God. The idea here is to turn your nose up at God. To say, your power, your authority, uh, coming judgment means nothing to me. I'll live however I want to. And so we mock him, but he says, God isn't mocked. You may think you'll mock him. You may think that as you turn your nose up at him, you'll go your own way and there'll be no consequences. But he is not mocked. It is His world that you live in. He is your creator. You will come to grips with Him one day. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you can mock this God. You cannot. He is not mocked by any human being, ever. So, you know, it's like He just takes us and kind of slaps us around, and you know, and, okay, okay, I'm listening, I'm listening in this passage. And then the fact that there's the possibility of growing weary. And that sounds like, well, we could start off pretty good and then give up after a while. And we can't do that either. We can't have a good start, a passionate beginning, and then we just give up and fade off. That won't do either. We we can't grow weary. But I hope uh, uh, with talking about sowing that we're going to talk about The greatness of his salvation and and what this really means in its context. Because it's glorious in how it calls us to a life of love. And there are three words that I'm going to focus on. One is faith. The second is freedom. And the third is love. Faith, freedom, and love. Vital elements in sowing to the Spirit here. And we want to see that the, the all of chapter 5, basically, especially verses 13 and following, form a context here. And in fact, as one commentator has pointed out, or many, that verse 13 that begins with love, that we're through love to serve one another, is kind of the beginning bracket, and this is the last bracket, do good to all men. So this whole passage is about love, or to put it another way, doing good, and in so doing, producing the fruit of the Spirit, which as you see, the very first thing up is love, joy, peace. So this passage is about trusting God to live a life of love, experiencing the freedom as the children of God to live a new life of love, and then some of the details of that love. But first, faith. If you back all the way up to chapter 5, verse 6, notice Paul says, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. That is, if you happen to be a Jew and you're circumcised, fine. If you happen to be a Gentile and you're not circumcised, fine. That's not the issue. That's not the point. And whether you are or not... That's not anything. It counts for nothing. Either way, here's the point. Faith working through love or faith expressing itself through love. But here's the root of everything else that comes in this chapter about the spirit and love. It's faith. It's helpless dependence. In the first place, it's depending upon Christ alone To save us from the penalty of sin. Earlier in chapter 3, he says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. So Christ hanging on the tree, hanging on the cross, he says he became a curse for us. We were under God's curse. Our personal sin brings God's judgment and wrath upon us. But Christ redeemed us from the curse that we were under by becoming a curse for us. He did not deserve the curse. He was perfectly righteous. He was pleasing to the Father. And therefore, He was able to stand in our place, bear the wrath of God and the curse for us... And so we trust in Him that He would win our favor with God. We trust in Him then that through Christ we are forgiven. We are embraced by God. We are accepted by God. We are under God's smile and favor. We sinners. We sinners. Even though we are And even at the moment that we trust Him, even though our lives have hardly begun to undergo any change, He automatically loves us and accepts us because we are in Christ. So, faith, expressing itself in love, begins with faith trusting Him that He will take our sin away, that He will gain us favor with God and all our sins can be forgiven. But faith also means that I trust in Christ for new life. I trust in Christ that I might live differently, and particularly that I live in love. But notice in chapter 2 of Galatians, you can back up to chapter 2, and he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And so Paul describes the life I live now is not just me anymore. It's not just the life I was born with. I have a new life. And as we get to chapter 5, we'll see that this life is given to us through the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. But it is called the life of Christ. He even puts it graphically here. Christ lives in me. Christ's very life the life that produces love and joy and peace, this life has been planted in my heart. It is, in effect, no longer the same Darwin that lived, but now Christ lives in me. And notice how he puts it then. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So my daily life is trusting Him For life. Trusting Him for change. Trusting Him that He will make me into the person that He wants me to be. Realizing that it is His strength, His grace, His life that He has given me. And I have no hope outside of that. It's interesting in the great passage in Ephesians 2 in the next uh, book, when it talks about the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sins... And then it says, because of His great mercy that He had toward us, the great love that He had toward us, it says, He raised us and made us alive together with Christ. And it talks about the transformation and He created us for good works and we're His workmanship. The whole of that passage of His grace is is our coming to God, dead, purely sinful, and in His complete mercy, taking us, embracing us as we are, and beginning to transform us. We didn't change anything when we came to him. We came to him helpless. And so he not only had to forgive us, but he had to begin initiating change in us. We couldn't initiate it in ourselves. We couldn't initiate the first change in our lives. He has to change us. And so it's called, in Galatians 5.22, not the fruit of Darwin, or the fruit of Mike, or the fruit of Sam. It's the fruit of the Spirit. If there is love in my life, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not my fruit. If there's joy, real joy, real patience, real self-control, it's the fruit and the result of the Spirit working in our life. So every day, it's kind of like we come to this frontier of where we are and we've got to move ahead in greater grace and more love and, and more devotion, more patience, more faithfulness and gentleness and kindness, etc. And it's all the work of the Spirit, therefore it's all by faith. And that's why Paul can say, it's faith expressing itself in love. But it's always faith or it's never love because it's always the spirit working in us to produce that love. There is no other way that you will gain the love of God except that the spirit works in you and the spirit works in you as you and I rest helplessly in his uh, grace and strength and then give ourselves to do his will So, you'll find, therefore, in Galatians 5, several ways to express this in terms of this relationship to the Spirit. In verse 16, it's walk by the Spirit. In verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit. In verse 25... Let us also walk by the Spirit, a different term used there. And then now in our passage, sow to the Spirit. But you see, all the orientation is Spirit, Spirit, led by, walk by, uh, l- produce the fruit of this Spirit. And that's why, again, he can say it's faith, trusting in Christ not only for forgiveness, but trusting in Christ daily that He will give me life and enable me to walk In love. So faith, though, brings us to another term, and that is freedom. The beginning of chapter 5, verse 1, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And then, verse 13, For you recall to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then the opposite. If you bite and devour one another, obviously not love. But you see, the freedom that we have, whatever this freedom is, this freedom is to set us, to release us that we might serve one another in love. It's a freedom from a life of sinful disregard of one another. It's freedom from the flesh, particularly. As he says in uh, Romans 6 and Romans 8, uh, the flesh is, is opposed to the Spirit. And he says it here as well in verse 17. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. So the desires of the flesh are against love, particularly. We are out for ourselves. Love and servanthood are no part of the flesh. Because he says here in verse 13, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but use it for love. Flesh is diametrically opposed to love. It's diametrically opposed to servanthood. Flesh then means deadly self. Self that ignores and neglects and disregards others. Self that mistreats and abuses and uses and manipulates others. Flesh that puts down and slanders and gossips about and lies about others and misconstrues motives of others. Flesh that hardens itself against others, refuses to listen, refuses to help, refuses to consider. Flesh that attacks and hurts and takes revenge and retaliates and hates and screams and yells. Flesh that commits adultery against and with. Flesh that steals and cheats and deceives. And he says your freedom is from those things. Release from self, from the flesh, that you might live in the new freedom of love and servanthood to one another. And of course that's the whole point of the law as he says. The whole law is fulfilled in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so the law which is God's word expressing his character and his will. Is that we care for one another. Love one another as we love ourselves. Counting one another as as important as we count ourselves. And so you see the opposite of this freedom throughout this passage, as we said in verse 15, if you bite and devour one another. Or notice the works of the flesh in verse 19. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We see that's the more kind of negative saying, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Our passage, Galatians 6, says, and if you sow these things as a way of life, you will reap corruption eternally. You will not inherit the kingdom of God, but you will reap corruption eternally. But where is this freedom? What is this freedom? Freedom from what? And I think the best place is to back up to chapter 4 because he has this contrast in, throughout Galatians of our old slavery under the law. And this means that we were not living out the love of the law, but we were under the power and condemnation of the law. And in unbelief, we were seeking to make the law a way to win God's favor. So many abuses and and the more apart from God's grace and strength and his spirit, we try to obey God through the law, the more it just beat us down. But here's a glorious statement of our new freedom, because it speaks about being set free. We were enslaved to the elementary principles of the word, verse three, but then chapter four, verse four. But when the fullness of time had come. God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. So you see, your freedom is the freedom of a child. The freedom of one now who is received by God. You are accepted and you have the life of God by His Spirit that has been put in you. And this life enables you above all to say, Abba, Father. To say, you are my daddy and you love me as your child. That is the freedom that He gives us. And that freedom means, in verse 22, that we can walk in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and the like. It means, in terms of chapter 6, that if one of us is caught in a transgression, the others come to try to help. We don't ignore one another. We do the difficult work, and sometimes it's the unpopular work of trying to help one another when we're flailing and when we're veered off the path. But he he says, this is a part of love, that you should restore one another. And verse 2, that you should bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. That is the law of love, of course. So all of these aspects of walking in new freedom, it means the freedom to care for one another. The freedom of a new life of love. But there's kind of a vicious side of this freedom, a vicious side, and notice it says, right after listing the fruit of the Spirit in verses 22 and 23, it says in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We, we are brutal in a sense. We are brutal in our lives with everything that is opposed to God. We begin to side with God and we hate God. Anything that is not a part of love. We hate our anger. We hate our lust. We hate our gossip. We hate the idolatry of our heart. We hate it that we have envy. We, we hate every aspect of sin and we begin to crucify. We begin to put it to death. That's a part of living. It would be the part of of any plant is that if there are poisons and toxins in the soil or in the water, you've got to get rid of those so the plant can flourish. And it's the same with us. By God's mercy and grace, the same desire by which we live in this freedom to love, we want to do away with anything that opposes that love. And so we give ourselves up to Him. And we ask Him to bear His fruit in our lives. It's interesting in Romans 8, after talking about our being set free by the Spirit, in verse 13 of that chapter, it says this, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Okay, there it is. If you're sowing to the flesh, in Romans 8, 13, it's live according to the flesh, you will die. Or in Galatians, you will reap corruption. But notice, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In Romans 8, 13, at that point, it really doesn't even talk about the fruit of the Spirit. It talks about the new life in these terms. If you're living by the flesh, you will die. But if you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's how much a part of the new life getting rid of the old is by God's mercy. That's part of our new freedom, our new strength, our new grace to love is that we, by His mercy, begin to put away that which is not love. That's our privilege as children of God that we bear His image, we bear His strength, we have His life in us. And that's why every day we are saying, Oh Lord, I give myself up to Your will. I dedicate myself, Lord, to walk in the Spirit and to walk in Your ways. But I acknowledge, Lord, it must be Your strength today. Your power, Your grace that will enable me to walk in my new freedom as a child of God. And... I've practically made the last point already, but let me just mention. Just to tie the the passage together. First of all, he says in verse 6 of chapter 5, it's faith working through love. Then in verses 13 and 14, he talks about the freedom, and it's a freedom for what? Through love serving one another. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor. And then when he gets to the fruit of the Spirit, what's the first thing he mentions? Love. So he says... It's love, it's love, it's love. Here's the whole orientation of the new life through faith. The the freedom and release that we've had by God's grace as children is to walk in love. And so see Galatians 6 as just a part of that. Sowing to the Spirit is living out this life of love. Living in your freedom that you have as a child of God. And not growing weary. You see, every day we've got the temptation that we're, we're tired, we're weak, there's so many obstacles. People are obstacles. The life, you know, this life would be so good if there were no other human beings in this life that we had to deal with. The church would be great, but there are people in it. You know, that's the big trouble with it. There are people. And you're sinful and I'm sinful. And yet we've got to live together. We've got to care for each other. and Get more and more involved in each other's life. And the closer we get, the more we see of each other. And the more we have to be patient with each other. Who do you have to be the most patient with? It's your wife or your husband. Why? Because that's the worst person in the world, right? No, it's because you're living with them. That's the only reason. (laughs) You happen to be living with that sinner. If you're living with another sinner, then she or he would be the problem of showing patience to her. But God, by his mercy, gives us grace. He sets us free. And by faith and trusting him, we walk in love. And the reason I've touched on this and the way he puts it then in verse 10. Let's, as we have opportunity, do good to everyone. That's. Love anyone and everyone that God gives us opportunity to love. And our whole life is set up as every day is opportunity. Every day, opportunity. You can just write it. You know, if you want to put a note on your mirror, opportunity. Opportunity for what? Opportunity for me to do good this day, to manifest my new life as a child set free from the flesh so that I, by faith, trusting in the Holy Spirit, may now produce, by God's grace, the fruit of the Spirit. I have opportunity today to live out that love. And you see, that's why... This verse is not simply about mercy ministry. It's not simply about a Saturday morning project four times a year where you go and feed the poor somewhere. It's about love that must go in every direction with every person. It's about love that has to show itself in your home. With your husband, with your wife, with your children, with your relatives, with your next door neighbor, with your person across the street. It's love that shows itself in all of these ways. And therefore, it's love that also shows itself to the poor and the downcast and the outcast in society. Because he says, love everybody. Regardless of social standing. Regardless of race. Regardless if they're in this country or another country. It's like... Do we have the world on our heart? Are we seeking to win the world for Christ? Are we concerned about Fort Worth not knowing Christ? Are we concerned about our neighborhood not knowing Christ? Do we love people? You But that's not just to heap guilt upon us. It's to say, brothers and sisters, by His grace, you will love people passionately, daily. Because you've been set free. You've been set free. Free. And in your freedom, as he says, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's what we celebrate this morning as we ordain uh, Daniel Robinson to the office of deacon. The very word deacon, as we're going to see, means servant. Here's a crystallization, an office that just cries out for all of us as a symbol for all of us. We are to walk in love by his grace. Let us pray. Oh, gracious Lord, we thank you, we praise you, that you have set us free through Jesus Christ. You have forgiven us of our sins through Christ, who's borne our curse. There is forgiveness, there is righteousness put to our account. We are received in the beloved. We, Lord, have your favor. And you have imparted new life by grace. We didn't deserve new life, but we have it through Christ. And it is a life that sets us free to more and more love in the very way Christ has loved us. It indeed is that fruit. That fruit that has this wonderful blend, this wonderful rich mixture of love, joy, peace, and outflows goodness and kindness and faithfulness and all these Glorious. And this is just a few that he names, Lord. Oh, we thank you. We thank you that, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, as we behold his glory, we are actually being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. How can it be, Lord, that we can bear your glory? But it is the Spirit that lives in us, it is the Spirit's fruit. We are really children of God. We really are. And we've really been set free. Praise your name, Lord, for your great salvation. Amen.